Welcome to another episode of The Southern Roost, a member of the Flyways and Highways Collective. If you are looking for the show about what's happening in the world of waterfowl, you are in the right place. From the sportsman's paradise capital of the world, I am your host, Aaron Head. Join with me in this endeavor is my co-host, Mr. Ryan Berthelot. Join us as we keep a pulse on the duck beat across our flyways. Moving into how to hunt them. Ryan, you take them here. Yeah. Oh, and clock out, but you're, you're good. I, I don't need the biologist anymore. Yeah. But let's let's talk about how these birds are hunted and, and what's your experience. You know, you're a Gulf Coast kid by heart. You've been around the Gulf Coast population your entire life. Uh, you know, how many of you average in a season usually? So I've been hunting the marsh hard for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in deep east Texas, so shooting wood ducks on oxbows, but since my college days and my career days, I've hunted 95% of the time on the Gulf Coast. In that amount of time, so 10 years, I've killed 20 model ducks. So an average of two per year. Um, the first one I ever killed, interestingly enough, I talked just earlier about how they're killed within 60 miles of where they were banded. I shot her in the same pond she was banded in. <laughs> like, she never really moved around. Uh, I think my best year was like seven or eight model ducks but that was when i was really hunting them um i target them specifically the others are just kind of oh they flew over or came in so i shot them but like tell me about this this first model duck you shot like was there a maybe a little sense of excitement more than most birds you found because like i remember mine and like i i'm not gonna lie to you i was almost disappointed i didn't shot them out at that time right so i shot this this one single mot in welsh on a rice field and i'm thinking like dude First mallet, you want to say, I'll take it. Right. Comes back and smiles like I'm like, now I'm, I'm 19 years old, right? Like, I don't, I don't think of mots in the way I think of them now, but there was disappointment. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I was a little bummed that I did not shoot that, that hen mallet. So, the way I operate is I pick a bird and then I specifically hunt the one that I've never killed before. Right. And I specifically hunt that bird. Like, it took me four years to kill a widgeon. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, it yeah. took a long time and I had to learn the habitats that they were in. Model ducks was like three years to kill one. They're not easy. I had worked on the WMA that summer as an intern. And so I knew the property. And let me tell you, when those birds cupped up at like 120 yards, it was all I could do not to jump up and down. Like they were coming. We were hunting a little bitty pond. They were coming in. Pair of them. It was just me and my dad came in. And she landed out there at like 60 yards, like way too far. And I was like, crap. Well, back then I didn't necessarily understand ethics, so I water swatted her. And it took five shots to kill her before I killed her. But let me tell you, I don't think I've ever been as excited to kill a duck as I was that day. Because I had been working with them all summer. That was the first year that I'd ever really known about model ducks, worked with them. I'd been hunting them because – like I was hunting the coast, but like I had actually put my hands on so many live ones. And then to finally be able to touch a dead one that I had shot was awesome. So like, and we talk about the methods, right? And obviously it's for you, it's patterning birds. Yeah. And that's, I mean, to me, that's a wild thought. It's not, it isn't, it's not a wild thought, right? Cause like, I think any good scouting trip for waterfowl, you're going to be patterning birds in some sense, just not that specifically. And you're patterning big groups of bird. Exactly. On big water. Yeah. Typically. Model ducks, like you're patterning two ducks. Yeah. And if you're hunting them, like you said, you got to sell it. That may be the only two birds that you shoot at Mm -hmm. because you may be hunting a pond that's the size of your truck. 
Yep. Like you have to sit 20 yards away from the pond. That way you don't blow them up when you shoot. So last year, I don't think I told you this. Last year, maybe second split, I started hunting back uh, in my own, my own ballpark here in the southeast part of the state. And we, I think we had already gotten back from Oklahoma. And the way we hunted Oklahoma, Owen, we were hunting a big lake up there that was very, very low considering what it usually is. So we had to use layout blinds mm-hmm. with the bank. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, like, dude, these layout blinds are actually really nice. I could use them in a lot of situations. So I took – I found, like, a pond that, like, I had four mots working. And I think I saw a few flocks of teal come in there, like, a few days before. I was hunting in big water. And I took – that layout blind into the marsh, which like if, if anybody's walking the marsh anywhere in South Louisiana, you know, it's treacherous at best to do this. Uh, and I laid out, I laid out on the side of a pond, nowhere near any Rozo. I, was, I made a point to stay away from Rozo can at that point because I knew that they had been shot at in every Rozo patch we had in that public land. But I used the layouts and uh, I did have two birds come close enough. I was asleep though. I'll admit, <laughs> listen, like I'm, if I'm hunting by myself in that layout blind, they're comfortable, bro. It's you. You saw. I got you a picture sat. of you in Oklahoma yeah. asleep. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, uh, day two. I was. <laughs> yeah. You're done. Yeah. I was out, man. It was a slow hunt anyway, right? So right. I was gonna take a nap. But you, you even did a walk and made a shrine somewhere. In the I made. Back. I found yeah. all sorts of stuff on the edge of that lake. There's old, old it's houses bad, and everything that were uncovered. It's bad for you to leave a duck blind. So, so Aaron, I mean, like, I know you don't target mods. At least you haven't yet. But what's your experience been? It's been. So, like I said, I didn't grow up duck hunting. I really found this since college, since I basically married into the sport with my wife and her family has a had a long traditional family lease in the Cameron Parish area. And so, I honestly, we shot model ducks a couple times a year because that marsh is it's a brackish water marsh. Tidal, it can be freshwater at some parts of the year, but usually it's brackish slash tidal. Um, so it's been like. A lot of luck. Been the beginning of the season corresponding to this. I think I've only we killed one outside the fifteen day window in this Cameron Bear marsh because it was they were flying by. Was the one you and I? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was after fifteen days. I'm pretty sure. I have to look back at the records. We could have when I went with close. you in January Correct. last year if we hadn't been leaving. Correct. So <laughs> I, it's been spotty. I will say I've killed them more on foggy days. So anything that could disorient them more. Um, yeah, I would say. Yeah. Beginning of the season for sure, and. They're not necessarily checking out this area. There's where we hunt it. There's a, it's like a, you have a boat, um, like a boat hide. And then you have a fiberglass four man or three man pit blind. You can walk out into it's, it's comfy hunting. It's comfort hunting for sure. Private, private land lease. Right. So there's a rainwater pond in the marsh about like 120 yards, uh, kind of Southeast of us that, if you get enough rainwater, it'll accumulate water naturally, and gray ducks will pile in there, and model ducks love it when it gets like that. If it gets big enough, some teal will use it. So my personal opinion is, in the foggy weather days, we get them into our decoys because they think that pond, they can't see it, and they think they see a bunch of decoys. Oh, that's the pond where all the gray ducks and stuff that we've been going to over and over again. So that's when I usually get them is when it's a disorienting effect, and so then they come into I forgot to mention this as well, but if I get an extremely windy day on that marsh I'm hunting in, like 25-plus, when the grays are, are now going to start using the smaller potholes and try to get out of the wind a little bit, you'll find grays and mots uh, yes. lumped in together quite a bit. Also. That's my experience. Yeah. 
Yeah, and model ducks typically just like smaller water. Yeah. You're not going to see them on big water. No. No. But you talked during the break about using model duck decoys. And and how, how do you deploy them? So one of the things about model ducks that most people don't realize is you, you see almost every other duck hanging out with other species. Right. You know, they, they kind of intermingle. They're gregarious is mm-hmm. the term. Model ducks are antisocial as all get out. Yep. They do not want to be around other ducks. They you, you will find them with others at times, but it's typically going to be that pair or maybe a couple pairs on a little small pond off by themselves. But one of the things about it is it's like a confidence. You'll When you see model ducks go into a little pond, all of a sudden other birds will start going in there. Um, the model ducks will eventually get out and leave because somebody crowded their space, but I, I watched that many, many a time and was like, well, that, that's got to mean something. So I, I bought a six pack of model duck decoys and I would just throw them out maybe behind the blind in a little small piece of water, a pair here, a triple there, kind of more natural, but don't put them anywhere near your other decoys. And I, I found huge success killing other birds. Yeah. You had a little bit more success with model ducks, but they don't like decoys anyways. But for some reason, it worked on other birds. It's like it's like putting out a couple spec decoys with your duck spread. Right. Like it just gives a confidence boost to the birds that it's more realistic. So I've always ran, and and I say always, it depends on the situation. But usually in the spots I'm thinking of that come to my mind right now, um, usually it's a small pond, maybe 50 yards wide, and I may have a pond 30 yards behind me. I will throw a pair of hen mallards mm-hmm. in that pond behind me, close to the edge of cover. Yeah, and then I I may throw a few birds here. Now I don't know. I may have talked about this with you, but I plan now to target model ducks a bit more this season. And I think the hard part is going to be leaving decoys behind, right? And like because yeah. you really don't. Normally, I'll throw in these little fifty yard ponds. I might throw eight to twelve. I might have two of my little uh, wonder duck spinners. I may have some teal, some scop, some buffalo heads. I'm to leave that behind and be like, okay. Uh, if I want to kill the bird I'm going for, I'm not going to decoy these birds, man, that's, it's going to feel like you're hunting naked. You'd be surprised though, because some of my best hunts in the marsh were over a decoy. Yeah. Like, I can't tell you how many times I'll see birds going down in a pond and I'll carry one decoy with me and toss it out there and just smoke them. Like you don't need a bunch of decoys, especially the later in the season you get. And that's what I was doing. Like I said, I was, it was late December, I think, early January when I was doing these hunts. And um, I've always been a big fan of using coops as confidence decoys. Don't I tell them that. Dozens, bro. <laughs> I have dozens of coop decoys. There was one time, Owen, I was hunting a very, very popular public land spot, South Louisiana. And like every single day, this place was getting hammered for, I mean, probably 15 boats right in the 500 acre pond. And we were the only people to kill birds because we had four dozen coots and six gadwall. Yeah. And we just lined them up, even out of range on this island we were on, we lined them up 40 yards this way down the island, 40 yards that way. We put the gadwall maybe 20 yards in front right there. And, I mean, model ducks, pintails, skull, everything, man. Like, I don't know. The confidence decoys work well for me, and that may be where I, I kind of like gravitate back to, like further on the side of that pond. I may put like a little pot of coots, but um, 
that's the one part of like this little experiment I wanted to do was gonna scare put them me. close to land too. That's what I've always done. Like I said, I mean, public land. I don't see the point in anybody throwing out decoys um, in the middle of a pond of public land, right? Because I, have you ever seen a duck in public land where it's not hanging out close to rose cane or some kind of cover and get away quickly? In? You know, every now and then you do, but like for for puddle duck species, man, maybe teal. I mean, teal might hang out in the middle, but like. Your grays that I've found are always just going to be hanging out like tight to cover, keeping away. And I don't know. I, for me, it's always been I'd rather have decoys look more natural, even if it's out of range for me, than uh, throw them in the middle of a pod. And especially like another thing I hate too, and this is a sidebar and I'm, I'm, I'm getting off. People who make letters out of decoys, like J's and U's and stuff, I don't, I don't get it myself. I never did. The only time I do it is diver hunting. I'll make a yeah. V. And it works really well for divers, but how mo- long is your V for divers? And I don't get we're getting crazy here with this, but it, it depends on how big the body of water is, but typically twenty to thirty decoys long, about five feet apart. Because we're talking like we I also talked to a spot I hunt open water in Louisiana, and we're talking about doing like a hundred yard long line. Yeah. Where these birds will come across perpendicular and then hit the line and come down. I've never gotten the curse. Try that number one because I have so many fishermen in the area that I'm just gonna run right through mm-hmm. them that line but so you mentioned model duck decoys like i've never actually seen to where buy them i've seen you can buy black duck decoys yeah that's what i use it's basically black duck decoys yeah okay g and h used to make them years and years ago um i think they were made super mags or like you could buy four at a time yeah i've seen a place online like a custom dude out of central florida mm-hmm. i don't know where they might paint repaint it. i'm, I'm just now starting to see and this is me getting sideways again with it but i just saw black belly whistling mm-hmm. silhouettes for mm-hmm. the first time of the day. You saw that on Facebook or something like they're that? They're getting, they're, you know, I don't want to sidebar too much from model. They're yeah. up and coming species in America for sure. Yeah. But, um, so talked about model duck decoys. So black ducks, a good alternative. And speaking of black ducks, Ryan, so, so yeah, I'm journalism degree, right? Do a lot of reading. And a lot of the reading I do, I'm guessing is probably more, uh, focused on, uh, the Eastern, Eastern seaboard, uh, Atlantic flyway. But it always seems like even now when I'm on Instagram, Facebook, that kind of stuff, man, people really hype up the black duck. They really do. And and I don't see that with hunters down here, the model duck as much, right? Like I don't – I call it like a top-of-the-pile bird versus just a normal pile bird. Um, it's a shame, right? Because, I mean, like if you think about, number one, the scarcity, model ducks are going to win, right? Like you're talking about trophy birds. Um, they, they hype up the black duck a lot of the same way we do, right? Like they're very difficult birds to shoot, very wary, very smart, but we do like, you can't tell me they're the same as, as a model duck as far as that goes too. Like these model ducks are almost impossible at times to shoot, at least if you actually duck hunting and not model duck hunting. So what are your thoughts on that? So this conversation, I didn't really know what the big deal was like. So my experience with model ducks was a little bit of luck. Um, I always thought they were special because we shoot a ton of teal where we shoot. So sometimes it's the only big duck I have, you know, quote unquote, mm-hmm. big duck in my bag. So I always thought it was awesome until I started like getting out of this flyway hunting elsewhere, how we take it for granted. Mm-hmm. And I thought like, man, how, how do people take this for granted? Cause like the comparison to a black duck and Atlantic flyway, it's totally different. But now after talking with Owen, how in the sixties, it was a three duck limit per day. And we had over a hundred thousand of them. I bet it was taken for granted. Whereas the black ducks have always been like low numbers and 
it might have been a point where he could shoot six of them, maybe, but I don't know Atlantic Flyway numbers. Well, but he could have only been able to shoot two for the forever. So, like, historically, and forever. And, like, I, I do a lot of reading from the 30s and 40s, and, like, the black ducks were more numerous than they are now. I think it was, like, a three to four bird limit in some areas. So, we're going to uh, sidebar for future conversation, but looking into our friend from Utah's research, black duck was the species in North America. Yeah. It was the originating. Mm-hmm. That was the he's gonna, Hopefully he'll go into something like that. But anyway, continue. Yeah, well, we, that's going to be, oh, that whole conversation I'm excited for. I'm not so yeah, y'all stay tuned for that one. But, but go ahead, Ryan. You know, I, I look at it now and like, they, again, like the thing is the same way that we're sitting in this room talking about model ducks, a lot of those guys 70 years ago talk about black ducks. And I don't understand because the black ducks were still decoying the same way the you know a mallard would yeah. for them or they're they're else. a lot more like mallards they yeah. decoy a lot easier they fly in flocks of mallard and i've never hunted black ducks this no. is just from watching no. videos i've got buddies that have shot them i mean that's a dream bird for me and, that, uh, that would definitely be a trophy for me let me tell you my next mount is going to be a hen mallard a mexican duck if i can get both model duck species it'd be great <laughs> But, like, right now, let's work on the black duck as well. Because, I mean, last year, my goal was North Carolina for a black duck, Oklahoma for a hen mallard. Shot one mallard as a greenhead, and that really kind of pissed me off. Um, and then the Mexican duck, which is going to be – that's going to be a chore. I and then you're going to learn through our friend of UTEP that there's a hybridization. You have to get that one. That's well, going on in Rio doing, Grande Valley. I, I really mean, want to go big. We're not doing all the hybridization. <laughs> That's, that's, a, that's a different. And then you have to different now different. from Owen. We have to learn. We have to go to a golf course in Florida and shoot the model duck mallard. Look, kids. Look, look. I'm <laughs> I'm spending like I think my guy's two fifty a bird. All right, okay. we're gonna stop at five. <laughs> we're not doing hybridizations. All right, I have enough birds <laughs> as is on this wall. Not all of them. That I'm proud of at this point. Like some of them didn't turn out as well as I thought they would. Yeah. So like let's 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 pump the brakes on that. But like that's my goal. I think for next couple of years here is to actually hunt the Atlantic Flyway and, and do the black duck hunts because I don't think you can hunt the Atlantic Flyway without doing that, right? Yeah, you've got to have the black. Maybe uh, Atlantic Brant, you have experience with Pacifics. I got but, Pacific Brant, yep. Yeah, um, maybe Atlantic Brants and then, uh, I don't know, maybe a sea duck hunt on top of that, but like you can't talk about the history of waterfowling in that side of the country without talking about black ducks. So, And sure. I, I think that's the same thing here, right? Like I don't think you can talk about South Louisiana duck hunting Without talking about model ducks and what we mean. I know? think I think that model ducks may have a bigger I don't like to use the word trophy yeah. with ducks. Right. Like I don't. They all look the same. You're not getting a long beard or more inches and in antlers or anything like that with, with ducks. You you get prettier. That's about you it. You can get prettier. You have the elusive four curl mallard. They all have four curls. It's just they're not always all there. I'm not ruin that for everybody. Like <laughs> it's you. You don't have trophy birds. They're all ducks. They're all beautiful. They're all super cool. To me, it's more about the story. Like I have shot some beautiful ducks. Yeah, and breasted them out. I have shot some moderately pretty ducks with somebody that I cared about deeply, or somebody that taught me a whole lot about life. Those birds are the ones that go on the wall. My my dog's first retrieve, my fiance's first duck. Like those are the ones that are important. The story behind a duck to me is what makes it a trophy much more so than the bird itself. And, and you're right. And like, it's hard for me sometimes to not view duck hunting as like a collecting thing. Right. Cause it's difficult not to do that, especially now. Cause I'm traveling so much more and I'm, I'm looking to see these things like different species and cinnamon teal. 
Uh, I went to a, a national wildlife refuge in Arizona, and they had a little uh, no hunting area, and there was like four Eurasian widgeon on it, and that that's that's so cool to see. But it's hard not to feel like a collector sometimes. But like the way you're doing it by collecting the memory instead mm-hmm. just makes it you know a little more palatable for I think a lot of people to to accept duck hunting with too. You know, I've, yeah, you know, like- I've transitioned myself from. It was kind of collecting to now it's uh, stories like first time bringing my buddy to Sherburne after I met you out there. Yep. Um, we shot it. We got into a bunch of shovelers, my favorites, right? So first time on the podcast, I'm saying that my favorite. They are my officially my favorites, and that's all we shot. And he had a beautiful one, and I'm like, I want to get one mounted. It's like, remember this with you, and it's trash. I'll, it was a trash grade, but you know what? It's mounted. Dude, I have one cinnamon teal to my name, right? But I drove to Oregon, Arizona by myself, 30 hours. It was a nightmare of a trip, like, thinking back on it. Bird had one foot when I picked it up. I don't know how it lost a leg. I'm not trying to figure that out, but just the, the idea of, like, man, that's what this entire trip symbolized. It, it was a hint. Yeah, so yeah, that, but- that's another very, very hurtful <laughs> point. There was four of them that came in, all right? Um the Drake is second in the line. So I'm not even thinking about Drake right now. Like this is first thing in the morning. Roll her, lock onto the what is now I realize is the Drake. Whiff twice. Don't even think about it until I walk up to the bird and pick it up. Like, oh my God. It looked like a blue one, but it wasn't. Because it was a cinnamon. But you know, the point being is, is like those those trips are now immortalized for me. And not only through that, but my blog as well now, which is going to be coming out along with these podcasts. And there's a difference, too, between collecting the stories and limit picks. Yep. Like, that's that's something that I don't understand in duck hunting is how, how some of these people nowadays, all they care about is bling on their lanyard yep. and piles of ducks. Some of my bet, like the first model duck I ever shot, that was the only duck we shot that day. Well, one of my favorite hunts of all time, like when I took my fiance on her second duck hunt ever and she shot her first duck, we shot her one wood duck forever immortalized. Like the duck hunters reach a certain point of like you're there when all of a sudden it's about the hunt and the story more than the the pile of ducks. I appreciate the duck, not the limit was always yeah. my thing, you know, and, and like, you're absolutely right. And I think that's kind of the bane of, of social media, which is, I think social media has, has done a lot to improve conservation efforts, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, like I see now on my feed, banding picks are just nonstop this time of year. I love that. But at the same time, like you still see the limit picks, the tailgate picks are the ones that always get me. Cause like, it's not even a good pick, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're nasty. They're yeah, bloody. They're all they're, muddy. They're torn up. Like one of my, my buddy's brothers throws his in an ice chest first. So they end up like just sopping wet. You can't even tell what species mm-hmm. it is half the time. I'm like, man, like let's, let's pay a little bit of respect through imagery for these birds as well. But, um, I do think social media, in some cases, we tend to get lost in duck hunters, right? Well, you represent all duck hunters, too. So if you post a picture like that or the wings broke and looks all nasty, like, people are going to see that and be disgusted by it. Yeah. Like, I used – so I went to Stephen F. Austin in East Texas, and I ran the Ducks Unlimited chapter. And I'll never forget, we all posted pictures of, like, our duck seasons and this, that, and the other. And I was the only one who posted a picture of a live bird that I was holding because I was on a banding trip. The amount of comments that we got of like, hey, we're so glad to see something besides dead ducks. We're so glad to see something about conservation. Like, I don't even care about killing every bird. 
in North America. At this point, I'm trying to band them all. I'm trying to catch all of them. I've, I've banded every dabbler in the central flyway at this point. And I did that while I was in college. Like that was my goal was to do it by the time I graduated college and I got to go to Canada and work for the Mississippi flyway that being able to hold every bird, that's something super neat. And it's not like I get to release it and know that somebody else may shoot that. Like I've hunted with people who have shot one of my birds from Canada. Yeah. It would have been awesome to shoot it myself, but I'm like, of course. I, I've held that duck 3000 miles away yeah. and you got to shoot it. Like that's super cool. The, the thing with ducks is like, you can establish that connection and get a story and all this sorts of stuff with it. That's, that's a super neat thing. And like, this is, this will be season 18 for me. I'm 31 now. Um, it started in my, my early teens, but Looking back on it now, and what I feed the most off of is the travel and the aspect of doing things in areas like I mean, and I go back to Arizona again because, like, to me, that is the most mind blowing experience to be sitting in a desert. Um, I have wild donkeys running around my blind. I shouldn't have birds here. I should not have ducks. All right, and I'm shooting. It could be the same teal I could be shooting back home, but just the idea that I'm doing it among salt cedar. Uh, there's dust everywhere. It's just it's an incredible experience, and not on top of that too, like the the other opportunities you get, right? Like for gambles, quail in that area was like the big thing, and mm-hmm. I didn't realize I didn't grow up a quail hunter. We don't have opportunities for that in Louisiana like we do other places, dude. I'm not gonna lie, Aaron. If you ever get a chance to do like a, a true wild quail hunt, one day it, it will it will make you almost question your love for waterfowl because then <laughs> you're like, I can wake up at seven o'clock and do this, yeah. Yeah. And be dry. Yeah. And, and be warm. dry about it and warm. And I'm still getting plenty of shooting in. Like it's, it's a blast. And those birds are gorgeous too. But I feel like at this point for me, it's, it's almost more about just where I'm doing it and who I'm doing it with. Like it could be the same the story across. Exactly. It's the story. That's, you know? yeah, you can put it on your wall. But at the end of the day, like we're sitting here reminiscing about duck hunts. Yeah. Like that's, that's what it's about. That's what duck hunting is about is the memory, the story and the camaraderie. But yeah, I mean, I I completely agree, and hopefully, we can all have a, another great set of memories for twenty twenty three, twenty twenty four. You know, couldn't agree anymore. Well, I think that says most of the things we got. Is there anything? Um, nothing I can think of off the top of my head for this uh, conclusion podcast. Oh, I did want to go over names of model ducks. I've heard them. I don't know in your circle of friends. Mm-hmm. I called them. You know, you taught me the word mots. M O T T S. That's my own. I don't know if you made that up. I, I devised that myself just because I'm lazy. I like that. I've like called them that for years. But I've heard a lot of the old Cajuns. No, uh, a lot of the old Cajuns I've heard like call them a summer mallard, a summer French. I've I, heard them too a lot. I can't stand that one. I don't know why. So I have a, a, a friend of mine who turned me on model ducks years ago down at uh, Dularge, and his family calls them summer French. Not summer French mallards, not summer mallards, summer French. I'm like, dude, that is the dumbest thing. I've ever heard. I don't get it. I don't get where it comes from. And I probably shouldn't be so obtuse about that. But like, I just, come on, dude. Like of all the dumb names there are, there are, there are like that's the dumbest. Yeah. I mean, in the biologist world, we call them Modu because that's the alpha code for them. M-O-D-U, the first two letters of each name. But I've also called them Motlers. That's my favorite word to call them whenever we're in a duck. <laughs> I'm like, oh, here come the Motlers. That's, that's what I've always called them. We brought mine back this year, and the guys next to us called him Black Mallard, which was uh, yeah. new to me. And also, like, something 
I've heard like my, my research from you know the Atlantic Flyway. They also call blacks black mallards as well. So mm-hmm. like it's, it's difficult and that can be construed, but or dusky duck. Dusky uh, duck was so confusing for the first two years I hunted in Texas. Yeah, I didn't know. I, I didn't know the Mexican duck is a, a relatively new thing, right? Like that's a that was they've a, been around. They're getting. They probably got. They weren't. Well, they weren't acknowledged as a species that's what for I'm a long. That's time. what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's it as it's fairly new to be uh, divided to their own their own subs or their own species. But yeah, no, I, I don't think there's anything I know past those. Uh, just moths is what I always called them. It's easier to say, right? Like if there's birds coming in, like just moths, moths, moths. So that's how it comes down to for me. Like again, shovelers. I'm not gonna say shovelers. That's one, two, three, four syllables. Spoons. Spoon's easier to say, right? Bootlip. That's too much. I love bootlip boot beat down. That's too smiling uh, mallard. Smiling mallard. Yeah. So like I mean, it's the same thing. Like people <laughs> always talk about what's your um what what's your call when you call a shot for a bird? Is it kill them? Is it shoot? You know, is it something else? For me, it's I don't even say anything. I just only <laughs> just <laughs> Ryan, right? He'll beat you every time. <laughs> he will beat you up every time. Yeah. This time as a wood duck hunter or whatever. He I will th- beat you to the draw. I, I think normally it just goes like if I'm if I'm thinking about it, I'll just say kill them because it's easier to just go with that. Um, I think people try to get too cute with that kind of stuff, though. That names as well. Cut them all, Jack. Nah, dude, I can't stand that one. <laughs> I have a start. So long. I made a song over that, too, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, awesome. All right, Owen. So anything else we got about model ducks you can think of? Any last-minute thoughts? No. I mean, probably should give them my contact info in case they have questions. For sure. So, so wrapping this up. So y'all be looking – Looking out for this little mini series we got going on, uh, diving deep in the mild ducks. Don't forget to get y'all stamps. It'll be closed the first 15 days of the season. Don't blast them during teal season or those first 15 days. And uh, we got a lot of conservation efforts going on and future plans for sure in the state. I think we're in good hands with Owen as number two Absolutely. on the totem pole. So Absolutely. really glad to get to know him more tonight. But if people want to reach out, get in touch with you, Owen, how can they do that? So the easiest way is my phone number. It's 337-735-8691. Um, or if you've got a little bit longer question, it, you can email me. It's obest, uh, could be worse, but it's best, obest <laughs> at wlf.la.gov. Um, or you can just look up the secret website and my contacts on there as well. So and then I'm sure y'all will post it on the Instagram and the blog and all that. For Absolutely. sure. Awesome. Yeah, any, any questions, y'all can holler at me. I'd be glad to answer them. All righty, y'all. So thanks again for tuning in to the episode of The Southern Roost. We're going to be signing off. Y'all have a great evening. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Southern Roost, the podcast show for the Flyways and Highways Collective. Connect with us by searching Flyways and Highways on Instagram or Facebook. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review on wherever you get your podcast from. It really does make a difference. Tell a friend about our show. Even better, bring someone new into our beloved duck culture. Till next time, this is The Southern Roost, signing off. <laughs>